0: You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams.
1: It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry, who's a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment. Uh, Wayne, we spoke yesterday, but it seems like an age ago because things have, I don't know, things have sort of changed a little bit. I mean, we woke up this morning to find out that the Hong Kong market was up 4%. I think it closed up 3.8% in the end. And that lit a fire under most markets. Interesting stuff. Yeah, you
0: know, look, some Chinese data came out that looked quite good, but the most important thing is they are going to cut interest rates in China have you know, to lower the repo rate, cut interest rates to boost economic growth to try and overcome some of the uh, effects of the trade sanctions. So that's very good. So you can see NUSBs up strongly today. Yes. And that pulled the whole market. But then surprisingly enough, they ran strong. They ran 14.80 odd. It's
1: incredible.
0: 14.86. It's incredible. And, and that... That, to me, can only be on the back of the GDP numbers yesterday. Because literally a week ago, this thing was flirting, you know, 1550. But also remember, it was 1380 until Donald Trump started the trade wars, fire burning again. So, yeah, I must admit, I was pleasantly surprised to see the rand strengthening a little bit. Because, you know, overseas, the markets fell last night. And I didn't didn't actually think that our our market... certainly I don't think the Rand would be strong today after what happened overseas.
1: Exactly. You know, when you see this sort of move, which goes against the trend, it tells me that there's some massive inflow that's come in and the brokers have been packaging it. It may be the PepsiCo deal, who knows? But there's something going on that the Rand has gone from 1535, not that long ago, down to 1480, as you said. We'll come to the spot prices later on. But yeah, it's a deal. It's a chunk of money coming in from somewhere and we'll find out where, I suppose, in the future. Quite possibly, yes. Okay, let's have a look at some of the results now. Momentum Metropolitan Holdings Limited short-form announcement. Results for the year ended 30th of June. Share price up quite nicely, over 3%.
0: Yeah, and the share price has been going up over, let's call it the last six months of the last year. But it's still down 40, 45-odd percent over the last three or five years. Mm. So, I mean, the share has taken a lot of pain. So we all know what happened there. New management took over a year ago and they reset the base. You know, according to them, the assumptions used in the actuarial valuations were too optimistic. They reset the base. In other words, did what's called kitchen sinking. Is that you just clean out anything. When new management comes in, you clean out anything that's sitting there. And then this year they showed a an 80-odd percent increase in earnings, but if you normalize it, it's about 50-odd percent. And in the commentary, they did say, listen, we reset the base last year. So they were very open about that. We reset the base last year. But if you exclude all of these assumption adjustments, earnings was still up 50%. Now, the share is up today, but we didn't know about this because, again, it's a trading update.
1: Okay. The big one, though, today was eagerly anticipated as well, was the results announcement from Discovery. And I spoke to Adrian Gore about two hours ago, and you can have a listen to the chat I had with him on strictlybusinesspodcast.com. It was a really, really mixed set of numbers. Obviously, the bank is, is taking up an awful lot of his time.
0: Yeah, the bank is taking up an awful lot of time and an awful, awful lot of money. You know, you know, I hope I'm proven wrong. I truly hope that I'm proven wrong. But I wouldn't open up a bank in South Africa. We overbanked. We got probably one bank too many in South Africa. Two, I think. And these are yeah, you know, and these are well, well-established organisations that have tentacles that go everywhere in the country, and essentially, it's a saturated market why open up a bank in this environment? I understand why Discovery is doing it because they feel their South African business model is actually relatively straightforward and it's been straightforward for three decades. They have an extremely loyal client base. Well, you now, if it. you want to make someone upset, say to them, listen, I've changed jobs, so we're leaving Discovery and we're going to ABC medical Scheme." Mm-hmm. so and I think every financial services player in South Africa is extremely jealous envious of Discovery's loyal client base. So what Discovery has done over the years is just sell more and more products to this to their client base, and now they're going to add a bank onto it. So I understand why they're doing it, but it's a bit like South Sea of Telcom. Why enter the cell phone market when it's already saturated? You know, it's a, it's a very difficult ask in my view.
1: I think so too, but I also think this was conceived many, many years ago and it gathered momentum and they can't go back on it, having spent hundreds of millions on the development of it and the concept of it. Just imagine when you're sitting down, you've just got your head out of the bonnet of one of your beautiful vintage cars. uh, You sit down, have a a glass of whatever you have, and the telephone goes and it's your broker, your insurance broker. And he says, um, Mr. McCurry, uh, you've got two policies with us at Discovery. Uh, Have you been uh, alerted to the fact that Discovery has opened a a bank and these are the benefits of it. And so suddenly, uh, because you're loyal to Discovery and because it's just sort of seamless, you don't have to go to another institution and fill in some more forms. It's a cross-selling exercise to me. Yeah, it is. But understand, and this is where we get, we get a lot of discussions
0: about this and a lot of verbiage and news around these. And it's not just Discovery now, it's Bank Zero, it's Time Bank, you get a lot of this, 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 I quite frankly think it's noise, that somehow you're going to make money on transaction banking. Hmm. You can just forget that that's in your dreams to make money on, on transactions. Because all of these new banks coming in, it's a race to the bottom to give you the lowest transaction fees. There's only one way you make money as a bank. And that's by lending money out and charging interest. It's the only way you truly make money as a bank.
1: So the difference between borrowing and lending, which in South Africa, you can drive a bus through. That's the only way you do it.
0: Only way you make money. Now, Discovery hasn't got sufficient enough capital. So for Discovery to truly enter this market and make cash, they are going to start lending soon. They have to. It's, It's the only way you make money. And all the other banks are going to come to that realization as well. You can't make money from transactional banking where your biggest selling point is how little you charge or nothing that you charge for the transaction. So, and now Discovery, I mean, to enter and compete with the big banks in the lending market, they can can compete with their client base in the transactional market, but it doesn't actually matter. You've got to get into the lending market. Now, for Discovery to do that, they are going to have to do a serious rights issue because to come and make a dent in the loan market against the big players yeah, you need tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions, to actually make a dent into that market. It's a lot of money. And Discovery hasn't got that capital. It just hasn't got it. And of course now, and maybe at 150 Rand, you can do a rights issue because they did the rights issue to buy the credit cards back from FNB, but... You're not going to do your rights, you should 100 bucks, I can promise you that.
1: No, and don't forget, it's come down to 100 bucks. It's gone back to 118, close to 120, actually. Yeah, yeah, stage. yeah. And now it's come back to 114, whatever it is. Uh, but the fact that the market hasn't reacted that positively tells you that people are slightly sceptical of this whole scheme. Let's not uh, talk about too much of, of discovery now. Let's skip straight away to the Anchor Group Limited, a financial services company, a niche financial services company. It's trading at three eighty. I think at one stage it was 16, 17, maybe even 18 rand per share when it when it listed came right back again but I spoke to Peter Armitage the other day who's the founder and CEO of Anchor he seems to be very clued up and very focused and I don't know if I was going to go for a niche player in the financial services industry I'll certainly have a look at this one
0: well look I went to a presentation that that Peter gave I know Peter well I went to a presentation Peter gave it must be two years ago if not a little bit longer Mm. and at that stage they were top of the pops with performance and everything but I mean, effectively, I work for a similar – well, the, the area of the business I work for is not just similar to his business at FNB. This is a tough environment, eh? Mm. Everyone's chasing more or less the same pool of clients because the pool of clients isn't getting any bigger. The share market's done nothing for five or seven or eight years. It's a tough it's, – it's it's tough. There's no new jobs around. It's, it's tough in this – you're not getting any margin in this game, eh? It's a very tough industry. Now, big organisations like mine, we've got one serious advantage over smaller organisations, and that is we've got distribution. We can, you know, the smaller players, the niche asset managers and financial services, they've got to get out there and do hard selling to get their products sold. So, if their performance isn't top of the pops consistently, always. Very, very hard for them to sell. But it's a, you know, a bull market will sort all of this out. Mm -hmm. And we hope that a bull market, hope it happens before I die. But (laughs) it's a tough, tough industry, this, to make money. But Peter is a highly competent chap. I I have great admiration for him.
1: Yeah, me too, actually. he comes across as very, very credible. But the share price, yeah, got a little bit I mean, people got a little bit over enthusiastic about it. Yes, they did. Expectations were high. But I do think that, yeah. Maybe someone will swallow it swallow it up. Maybe a company like yours will swallow it up at one stage and it'll become a division of your organization. Yeah, look, that there's a potential.
0: I mean it's it's quite an interesting topic you being up there. We've done this once or twice and other big banks and big insurers have also done this once or twice. And it doesn't actually work. Eh? Mm. The, the people like Peter have got to stay independent in their own company where they own all the shares or the majority of the shares. Somehow, it just changes when you swallow it into a huge organization. These little niche financial services companies aren't the same afterwards for some reason. I, I don't know of one success story.
1: I think it's the culture that changes because you've got these big big bosses that say, well, you've got to do this and this, whereas it's a more entrepreneurial spirit when you've got a small, more nimble company, don't you think?
0: No, definitely. So that's why, you know, uh, somehow – and large organizations have their own advantages. As I said, they've got distribution, but there are some negatives. uh, These smaller asset managers in particular don't function well when they get – sacked into a huge
1: organization interesting observation wayne what are you doing at the moment by the way here we are september uh, this northern hemisphere summers are over and here we have boris johnson and jeremy corbyn at prime minister's question time today i mean that was the that was one of the best pieces of uh one best hours of television i've ever watched with boris johnson who I think is, is a little bit out of his depth, Jeremy Corbyn, yes. who is a, a, clearly a Marxist and would be disastrous for Britain. But no matter what happens, it, it's, it is going to be worse than people expect, I think. Yes. It's going to be I mean, absolutely can, disastrous. How you can tie yourself up into
0: such a knot about what is essentially started, you know, Brexit itself has got, it, it was actually almost. Social rebellion. It, it had nothing to do with economics or rationality or anything. It just seemed like a good idea at the time to want to exit back to, to exit the European Union. Yes. And now they have tied themselves up in such knots, and they've essentially put the UK on hold for two years because no one's investing. In fact, the money's leaving. And you look at the effect it's had on UK property prices. I mean, it is astonishing. How much damage has been, you know, has been um, done to the UK economy, and they haven't even left yet. And in fact, they don't even know if they're going to leave because, I mean, the Parliament there probably be an election or a vote of no confidence, or you know, so yeah, it's chaotic. Quite
1: frankly, I think that Boris Johnson will be the prime minister who goes down in history as the man that has the shortest tenure the shortest. at Number Ten Downing Street. I think he will be out of there quite soon because. I just didn't like his performance. But well, he hasn't got a majority. No, exactly. Well, because saw, someone saw the walked, vote loss... Yeah, what was that? What they do, they, you walk across the house or something like... I can't remember That's, the exact terms, but somebody left his party and crossed went... the floor. Went, he crossed the floor, exactly. And now he, they, the he, has, they he, he hasn't got he a majority talking. anymore. They crossed the floor. It's amazing. They crossed but, the floor while he was talking. And then
0: 20-odd of his own people voted against him to get this other bill through last night or whatever the case was.
1: But then, I mean, you think
0: about it, he Union says, well, no, is not coming, Parliament's not gonna sit.
1: It's fascinating yeah, so stuff. Anyway. anyway, Wayne, it does throw up some really, really good opportunities, because a lot of those companies in the UK- I would think so. I mean, if you look at their price to book, my goodness me, there's some bargains out there. Yeah, yeah I mean, Intu's down 90%. Yes. Now,
0: I'm not saying I would buy Intu, because I think half of that's Brexit, but the other half of that's online shopping. Yes. And uh, not, not the death of the shopping center, by the way. I think people who say the death of the shopping center is wrong, that the transformation of what the shopping center represents is clearly changing. And we in South Africa must take heed of this because there's one good thing about being a little bit isolated like we are, is we can see what happens overseas 10 years before it hits us. Yeah. And this online thing might be, Five percent of our sales, now three percent of our sales, but it's going to twenty or twenty-five. And unless all the property managers understand this and make the shopping centres destinations, not just a place where you go shopping, a lot of the lot of our big shopping centres here might suffer the same fate as into. You know, mm. it's, it's a it's a it's a definitive thing. Look, I first heard, I first heard. You know, stories about this happening in the mid, in the late 1990s. So it's taken 20 years Mm. for it to actually start physically having an effect. But it's clearly not going to stop. I mean, it's just going to carry on. And, And, you know, all the property companies, all these mega shopping centers that we've got, have got to be very careful how you adapt to this. You've got to have smaller footprint shops. You've got to have a lot more shops. We have a lot more restaurants a lot more entertainment the the department store is dead but we all knew that I mean because so the department store is dead uh, and why Woolworths would buy a department store in Australia that's already quite far down this track is also astonishing. that that story we also and we all know the result of that story you know it just doesn't make sense I mean I can remember growing up in Kimberley and there was a department there John O's,
1: and Remember that, John and that, closed
0: yes. the, that closed in the seventies, and it was—it's so interesting. They used to have one of those vacuum things where you put the invoice in the <laughs> little container and put it into the vacuum pipe, and it would shoot through two accounts and it shoot back out. It was actually quite fascinating.
1: <laughs> I mean, look at the United States. Look at Macy's. Look at Sears. All the Sears Roebuck. Yeah. Look at all those stores. They've—they've been in decline for decades, and yet—and yet, yeah. As you quite rightly say, what was. Steamed, steamed in there. Anyway, okay. we have to leave it there, Wayne. Thank you so much yeah. for your insight. Fascinating as always. That's Wayne McCurry, who's a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with ShareNet.co.za. Visit StrictlyBusinessPodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox.